Welcome to Everything's Relative, a podcast about surprise DNA discoveries. I'm your host, Eve Sturgis. This is episode 15. Uh, Hello, everyone. So here we are in November. 2019 is just sailing right along. Um, How was your Halloween, everyone? We had a blast. Uh, I put a photo up on our Instagram of um, Dallas's costumes. And I have to say, there is nothing like Halloween with a four-year-old. It's so fun. He really loved it. Um, So here we are. Uh, This is another episode where the conversation is a little bit different than my traditional conversations with an NPE. This person reached out to me and offered to talk about her experiences with using modern donor conception. So if you listened to episode five, uh, you know why that's of interest and why it's important to find out how it's done in this day and age, especially because um, in episode five and and other adults discovering that they are from donor conception, um, we can all assume that the process has changed over decades, but... um, but I don't really know. So it was great that this person uh, offered to reach out and talk, talk about what it's like for her and, um, uh, you know, just, just give me some ideas that I hadn't thought of before. So this woman wanted to keep herself anonymous, and I hope you understand why. Um, before now, I wouldn't have thought anything that she had to say was very controversial, But I am learning that there are just so many different perspectives in the sort of DNA discovery phenomenon and the NPE world. There's a lot of feelings in every facet. Um, So she decided she didn't want to be named. Uh, And so, so she's, and so she's not named, you guys. Um, But she was so generous to take time from her workday and explain the ins and outs to me of how the basic like sperm bank procedure works. And I'm looking over my notes that I took and um, I can like, I can hardly like make heads or tails of my own chicken scratch. But I know that one thing that really struck me when we talked was about um, hoping that love and support can be enough to satisfy a growing person's needs. Um, And I think that that is such an important concept that's changing with time and something that comforts so many people when they're faced with all of the unknown and uncontrollable parts of raising a child. Um, For me, I know this was really an idea that I leaned into when I was raising my oldest daughter on my own, and it was just the two of us here in L.A. So before I start to cry about that, I'm going to go ahead and roll the tape. Uh, This is episode 15. Um, This is the podcast Everything's Relative, and I am Eve Sturgis. All right, so here is what's been going on on my side of things. Okay. Um, I started this podcast because, well, okay, wait, let me back up. Let me say that again. I, so let me talk about it from my side of things, and then and then we'll, you talk, and then it will become okay. clear why we're, like, merging together. Okay. Um, so... So two, oh, not, uh, not two years ago, but a year and a half ago, a man called my uh, husband and said, um, I think that I'm Eve's real dad. And he was correct. And we figured that out through DNA testing. And in that process, I discovered this whole world of people that are um, connecting and discovering all of these things about who they're real 
parents are. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's because these mail-in DNA kits are so easy um, to do, so much, so much easier yeah. than it be. And then also, um, so many people are finding out as a surprise. Like, it's a shock and it's a surprise and it's devastating. And it's uncovering generations of secrets and mm-hmm. of varying degrees. And you know all this and everybody knows all this, but it just makes sense for me to like kind of go over the history of things. Yeah. Because in the process, I my my biggest concern really like in my heart is about people that feel shame. Mm-hmm. And so many of these secrets are are born of shame you know and we have this so much of it i'm like totally fascinated right now about our moral code in this country Mm -hmm. world and um and what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do and what it means if people are do this do this which is mainly what i'm talking about is sex Mm -hmm. Uh, although although in my process so then i um I wanted to to talk to people who are finding out the surprise because there's a lot of shame and emotion and unfamiliar territory about the surprise itself. Yeah. Um, Sex notwithstanding. Uh, And then (laughs) I, um, I met uh, my interview, Carla interview number five. And she talked about how what she discovered unexpectedly was that she was donor conceived. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to her, she, I, and that was something I had never, ever thought about. Um, she sort of, ex, sort of like exposed or revealed to me like this whole world of what that means to her mm-hmm. or what that experience has been like and what the history of that is or some of the history. Um, and then, and then simultaneously, like I follow, you know, these different groups on Facebook and the internet and these message boards and stuff. Um, of these communities of people. And a lot of the donor conceived people have a lot of things to say and a lot of feelings about yes. it. Yes, they so, do. So, so that was my journey to you. And then you mm-hmm. listened to the podcast and then yep. so graciously offered to talk with me about donor conception in, two th- you know, like now, mm-hmm. like modern donor conception. And I do have a lot of, not a lot of questions. I mean, I do... Uh, I just, I'm very, and I know that you're not like representative of the, of like the same sex community, but yes. I do want to know if like, is this stuff getting talked about at all? Because mm-hmm. I never thought of it. And I have, I have lots of friends that are in same sex relationships that have adopted mm-hmm. or um, used surrogates or used donors. So, yeah. so maybe you could just, you could tell me like more detailed or intimate um perspective. Yes. Well, I do. I do want to make that clear that I am just this is my experience. and I in no way consider myself like the gay spokesperson. Um, (laughs) So that would be a really excellent business card. So if someone Mm -hmm. wants to hire me for that, I am in. Um, But so um, yeah, so I am married to a woman. And so when it came time for us to start talking about having a family, you know, it was not going to happen naturally. So when we went out, we started looking at um, sperm banks and all of that. But at the time, when we first started working with the fertility clinic, they had us sit down with a social worker to discuss the potential implications of having a donor-conceived child. Um, But that was about the extent of it at the time. Uh Um, I found out about the donor, the the feelings of some donor-conceived individuals um, well after my first daughter was born. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and so 
It was one of those like the barn doors oh. already closed for that one. But right. um, so what did the social worker tell you? What was the gist of what she said? She a woman, which is not fair. I'm sorry, say that again. I thought I was I was assuming that the social worker was a woman. I said what is it she was, okay. it, you were correct. Um okay. so basically she said, you know, when you have a kid with a donor, you want to at least give them the ability to have coffee with the individual. Which we kind of nodded and said yes for, um, but we did not. We kind of nodded and said yes and then left and we're like, that's actually not going to happen. We didn't bring it up with her because we were just trying to get something checked off that we had to spend money on. We didn't want to to get to be able to work with the clinic. Um, right, 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 right. So, when, so she said you want to at least give the, the child the option to have yes. coffee? Or the, okay. Yes. With the donor. Okay. Yeah. To get the chance to know about who they, you know, got their right. their genetic makeup from. And, and I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. I'm going to interrupt you a lot. Probably. No, it's okay. I'm just so, first of all, I had a lot of coffee, but secondly, I'm so, <laughs> or reverse those. Um, did they, did she, the, did the social worker suggest if that should be as, a, as an adult for the child or as a yeah. child? So l- let me back up a bit and talk to you a little bit about how how you can buy your uh, your sperm if you're interested in purchasing. Um, you, there's a bunch of different options. So you can go with a known donor, which is just then like you have Bob, who's the uncle, who then you explain is actually like the kid's dad and they get to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can purchase um, a sperm with ID options which then says when the child turns 18, they have the option to reach out to the bank to get the donor's contact information. Um, And then there's also the completely anonymous donation option where um, you just, you don't get to know who that is. They are number one, two, three, four, and that's who, that's who fathered you. Um, So that's, those are those three options. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, having a known donor means you have somebody in your life that produces sperm that you would want to have do this for you. We right. did not at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two brothers, but I wanted to carry and my wife was not particularly interested in that. So, you know, mm-hmm. and she didn't have any male relatives like that, that she would want to bring into this. Mm-hmm. Um and so the the other thing is there is a very significant price difference per unit between ID options and anonymous. And right. at the time, um, at the time, the Supreme Court had yet to recognize the legality of my marriage. So we were receiving no insurance support for what we were doing. So we were paying everything out of pocket and it was just not financially in the cards for us to uh-huh. be able to purchase something with ID options. I have since learned that um, a lot of banks don't try to maintain contact information for donors. So uh-huh. even if you, I had gotten someone with ID options, they would not necessarily be someone that, like I, they may not be able to reach out in like 13 years and get a phone number that works or something like that. Right, I was just about to say like, who even knows what contact will look like <laughs> in 2018 yeah, exactly. like, yeah email might not be a thing anymore or facebook yeah. or, and definitely like home addresses and landlines are such a like yeah. archaic, archaic system for tracking people in the state. yeah um okay so so when we were sitting down to start baby making for our first round um we basically decided okay there's just no way we can afford to do this 
with um, with the ID option. So we'll find someone we like without the ID options. And um, we're just going to be very active in the donor sibling community. And so when they're old enough to understand what's going on, we could say, you know, look, at this point, we can't give this information about your, um, you know, about your biological father, but here are all of your half siblings um, and we can have relationships with them. Like let's have a family reunion, all of that sort of stuff. Oh my gosh. Is that always an option with the, with the anonymous IDs? They always um, all the siblings? Uh, well, so it's not, you. It, it's an opt-in. Like we're okay. supposed to inform the bank when we have a pregnancy, which we have done. Um, but there's the donor sibling registry which is, I believe, DonorSiblingRegistry.com. This is something my wife has been a lot more in than I have. Okay. Um, and then the individual banks have their own registries as well. So I believe we were on both. And from that, we are now Facebook friends with five other families who have kids mm-hmm. from the same donor. Oh, that is fascinating to me. I know. It's both really cool and really weird. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So, okay. So is it like... So it's like an Ancestry.com, but just for donor siblings. I think actually even Carla talked about that in episode five. Um, so I, yeah. so here, here's the part where I am, I'm not, I haven't done any DNA testing. I'm not a part of Ancestry.com, so I don't even really know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But it's, as far as I understand, it's literally like just a message board where oh, you go okay. to the individual bank and you say, I, you know, I had kids from this number. And mm-hmm. then someone else can chime in and say, I also had kids from this number. And so they can just, they connect that way. And so once we got names, we all just became Facebook friends. And now we have a group chat that we all right. pop in and out of. Wow, wow, wow. And are they um, are they all local-ish? No. No, okay. No. Um, I have one local we just connected with like six months ago that we still have yet to have a play date. We've been talking about it for that long. Um <laughs> And then I have one, one's in Rhode Island, one's in Iowa, one's in, I think, Illinois, one's in Minnesota. And my next question is, did they, but did everybody connect initially with that donor at the same place? Like, did the well, donation get purchased at the same place? Or yes, they traveling? all did. Yes. Is yeah. he traveling? Is he traveling or is the... No, it's it's the, the units are traveling as far as I understand. So I believe what happened is... So we, we went out of Fairfax Cryobank. Um, and so I believe what happened is they purchased another bank that was in the Midwest. Oh, okay. And so some people picked up from Midwest and we did Fairfax because um, shipping for units is like 200 bucks a pop. And again affordability was an option was a concern right. for us and my right. wife works for herself so she could go pick up the unit drive it to the clinic and drive the tank back once they right. took the stuff out so okay so wait a minute now i'm understanding that 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 sperm can mm-hmm. can be donated at one spot yep. one place but then shipped all over the country that's and that's what they all do yeah Oh, <laughs> so I I am on the East Coast. I could um, I could order from California Cryo, which is a very popular bank. I could um, I mean, yeah, all over the place. Oh, and that's a, when people do known donors. Sometimes they'll like donate at a clinic in California, and they will fly it across country to the clinic in New York. Or sometimes they'll just like I guess FedEx it in a specimen cup. I have not been into that side of things. So I'm not sure exactly right. how they do so, that. Okay. But. So gone are the days when um when the man was just like in the next room. Oh gosh no. Yeah, that's okay. Mm-hmm. okay. 
or the doctor was leaving for 10 minutes and saying there was a man, but really he was the yeah. donor. Okay. No. Okay. So it's, it's actually kind of like speed dating. So mm-hmm. if you ever go onto a um, fertility clinic website, you can look up all of the donors. You can classify by race, hair color, eye color, whether they like cats or dogs, they give you their sign. Um, they have a complete medical history of everybody. And then they have like staff impressions, mm-hmm. which we always like, you know, staff say that this donor is very handsome. And some say staff remark on this donor's remarkable eyes. And like, okay, so they're not, they're not cute, but like they got pretty eyes, like that kind of oh, stuff. And totally like dating. Okay. Yeah. And the one we did only give baby pictures. And so there was a lot of like, okay, this is a cute kid. Do you think it's going to be a cute adult? I'm not sure. Um, and then they also break it down into preparation types. So um, you can, there's like f- a bunch of different kinds you can get. You can get one if you're just doing like an intracervical insemination, mm-hmm. intrauterine insemination. If you were doing IVF, um, it's a different amount of motility, which is like live sperm per unit. Mm-hmm. And the other weird thing is like for each donation that the, the person makes, that could be broken out into multiple vials. Um, oh, I asked that. No one knew the answer. Okay. Yes, they okay. definitely can. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, at least that's a, what I, my understanding right. of it. Again, okay. I'm not an expert. I've just spent a lot of time looking at a website. Do you um, know? Okay. 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 You're not an expert, so I will not ask you too many. No, you can go for I mean, like, what I've Googled a lot. How many vials one donation can create? That I don't off the top of my head. I think it depends on the person. Okay. How much, <laughs> how much yeah. sperm produced? Yeah. Exactly. Because if you're doing um, ICSI, which I forget what that stands for, but basically that's if you're doing IVF, they'll harvest your eggs and then they literally take one sperm from the Mm -hmm. sample and inject it into one egg to fertilize. So, you know, when we when we did IVF for my second kid, we actually had them refreeze the vial so we could use it for later. Uh Okay. Amazing. All right. So, um, so, so are you comfortable telling me what you and your wife did, did choose yeah. for your daughter? Yeah. So we, um, we ended up getting a specific number, um, and we went through three different donors because, you know, it was one of the, for whatever reason, they were all like at the tail end of their donations, or they only had a certain amount of ICI vials available, which were the cheapest kind. Uh-huh. And the fertility clinic goes, like, uh, thaws it and does a wash and account anyway. So it doesn't matter if you buy ICI or IUI, you're still paying for that service. So you might as well get the cheaper one. Okay. So it started out like, and the other part of it is, um, I am CMV negative, which is a specific kind of virus that you get where if the donor is positive and you're negative, it can cause some pregnancy issues. And so they just told me to get all CMV negative. And so that actually winnowed the pool down a lot because there were not that many. Mm. Um, I'm, again, I'm not quite sure why, but it's like a it's like a cold or something like that where it's, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you don't have it, it's fine. But if you do, like, yeah, it's was like if you have a cold when you're a kid. It could be a problem, but when you're an adult, it's not. I don't quite know. Um, mm-hmm. I'll like just cut that part out. <laughs> um, but so that went out the pool a lot. And so, like, starting out, my wife went, went out and made, like, a spreadsheet of all of the different donors and who did this and who was artsy and who was studying engineering and all of that. And so we had these very in-depth discussions, and we picked one and then um, ordered, like, four units Blew through those in two months, no pregnancy, 
more arguing, well, well, not arguing, more discussion, picked another one, ordered four more vials, blew through those in a few months. Um, and then I moved to, um, I moved to uh, IUI with Clomid, which is where you get put on a fertility drug to produce more, um, produce more eggs. And then, you know, they do an IUI when you're ready and all that. And so that went down to one, just one vial. And so we, had, we were finally like, okay, I just got to pick someone. So someone tall, that's all, that's all Meg wanted. Cause no one really looked like her and she's got, you know, light hair and blue eyes. I said her name. Oh, well, we'll just bleep it. Um, she's got light hair and blue eyes. I have brown hair and brown eyes. So like, that's not, it's not going to physically look like right. her anyway. So someone right. tall and uh -huh. then we've hit, like, this one's tall and he looks like Tom Hardy. Done. Let's Fun. go. <laughs> so, enough said. Yeah. So we, um, so we picked him and, uh, it was the last unit of him on my, IU, on my second medicated IUI. And like the day before I went to get my blood tests, we were like, I don't know if it works. Like, should we talk about adoption and all of this? And then of course mm -hmm. I got the call the next day and they're like, congratulations. And I freaked out for the next nine months. So, uh -huh. Uh -huh. so that was what happened with my first, right. um, my second, he had stopped donating. And okay. so I, we were on the wait list for units for him. We got a call when I was eight months pregnant with my first being like, we have units available. Do you want some? And we said, you know, I can't make that financial commitment right now because you also have to pay for storage, which is like right. 50 bucks a month. And yeah. So we were like, fine, whatever. We'll just pass. It's That'll be what I'll be. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. That Easy. Like... Okay. Yeah. And they're like, well, if you buy six units, you know, you get a year of free storage. You're like, well, six units is like $3,500. Like I have right. that in my back pocket, you know? Right, right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, so then we got to the point where we were starting to think about having kids again. And then the donor miraculously had six units available and they were having a sale. And we talked about doing it on Wednesday night and we weren't sure. And then we went to go purchase on Thursday and they were gone. Um, oh. so, what? so yeah. So we started up doing that. We ended up having to pick another donor. Sorry. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, so we picked another donor and I went through this for my second. I went through five rounds of medicated IUIs. Um, I got pregnant, had a miscarriage, and then we were discussing IVF. And so <laughs> this is the fun story. So all of the donor siblings that I talked about that we're Facebook friends with. Yeah, yeah. They were all in the process of baby making their seconds as well. Ah. And so we're all just eyeing each other like, does anyone have a vial? Do you have someone? Right. Have <laughs> and so I had I had one um, couple who was like, you know, we're, we're, we're trying, but we're, you know, we're not going to need this vial. So I'll, we'll send it to you if you want. And we were like, we're not sure yet. Um, and this was like September. And then in, you know, like January, I'm like, actually, we do want it. And they're like, well we just had a miscarriage and we're going to start doing IVF. So we're not going to do that right now. So, all right. Mm -hmm. And then one of the other families came forward like, we have a vial, you know, if you, if you want it, like, how about that? So, so we like got the vial from them. They did the paperwork at the sperm bank. They shipped it to us. Um, I was like, you know, we're going to do IVF, but refreeze it. And so then um, the other, the other family, another family came through and they were like, so, 
do you have any? Because we're trying to make ours. I'm like, yes, I do. And so we ended up sending that to them. So it just was this kind of like game of telephone. Yeah, these files. yeah or like musical chairs or something. Yeah, exactly. Some metaphor here that. Yeah. So yeah. The, the funny story is I was friends with, we're like friends with um, three other main donor families we've added to in recently. But of those three families, um, one had a ba- one had babies in November. I had my daughter in December. One had uh, their son in March, and then the other one is having theirs in this December. So, so. it's just one after the next. Yeah, so it was just all of our baby making time, I guess, mm-hmm. and it just worked out very nicely. That's awesome. Yeah, that'll make it so fun to hang out. So, so yeah, um, I, I keep saying when they're older, like, and are better able to understand all of this because mine is like the oldest and she's not quite five. So uh-huh. in like five years or maybe seven, I want to do like some kind of get together, like let's run a, a park somewhere in the middle and we can all drive and meet a, like meet up with each other and have the kids have a chance to like talk to each other and get along. Right. Wow uh okay so so i'm so sorry so just to clarify your daughter and your second daughter Mm -hmm. yeah they both have the same donor yes Okay. Both, the, of, both of my kids. Okay. Yeah. I, both I, of my kids are a hundred percent, um, same genetics. Um, okay. So, okay. So, and you, and you will, there'll be no way for you to, to track their, the, who the donor is on nope. behalf, on behalf of your children. Okay. No, nope. I mean, it, yeah, not, not at this time. Okay. And, um, and then, so what are the, and then, but if, but if your children choose on their own to do 23andMe mm-hmm. or Ancestry.com or any of the, um, oodles of companies yep. that are tracking people, they may end up connecting with this donor anyway. Yep. They may. Yeah. And they will probably, if they do that, they'll probably find more donor siblings. Um, I suspect, Let's see. So I uh, once we know, we have probably, hang on, I'm counting three. I think we know eight siblings from those five families, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's another 20 out there. Right. Which okay. is one of those things when you discuss it in the hypothetical, you're mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. There's no way that could happen. But in reality, these banks only li- limit donors to siblings only when they hit, I believe, 20 recorded pregnancies. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, not even including unrecorded. Yeah. Um, all right. And so do you feel like you you, you and your wife, have you guys discussed um, how you'll explain, like, the birds and the bees to your kids? We've done it a little bit. So we've done Corey Silverberg's What Makes a Baby, mm-hmm. um, which if people don't know what that is, I highly encourage you to go look for it. It is a gender neutral way of explaining conception that talks about all the different ways that you can do it, whether or not you're doing it with a doctor or different, you know, if you're doing it the old fashioned way or whatever it is, because, you know, the reality of today's world is that 
you know, yes, sometimes mommy and daddy come together with a special hug, but also (laughs) mommy and daddy go to the clinic or uh, mommy and mommy ordered some broke college student from a website that got delivered Mm -hmm. to, you know, a clinic. Like there's just so many ways that it happens now that it's just part of, should be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've discussed that. And so, you know, my older daughter knows that some people have a sperm and some people have an egg and that's what makes a baby, but we haven't gotten more than that. Mm -hmm. We have gotten, um, why don't I have a daddy, Mm -hmm. which, you know, like you just, you have two moms. Some people have, you know, mommy and a daddy. Some people have two dads. Some people have two moms. Some people have one mom or one dad. Um, And so she's, you know, this is one of those with kids, they kind of accept the world as it's explained to them. So she's understanding that. She wanted a daddy for a while because she thought a daddy wouldn't like make her go to bed on time or enforce rules, which are right. like, daddy is kind of like a pr- imaginary friend or right. somebody really fun. I get it. So we, we, you know, we explained that that was not, you know, <laughs> plenty of daddies enforce rules and make kids go to bed on time. And so we have a very um, close friends who have a daughter who's a little younger than ours. And so it's like, you know, well, uncle, hmm, you know, mm-hmm. makes, makes his daughter go to bed on time. So why did, would you think that? And, that cleared up pretty quick, right. but yeah. Um, all right. And is there um, is there a lot of sort of discussion about the um, to me new? I don't know if it's new controversy, but um, sort of like these all these feelings being expressed by adult donors now. Is that um, do you know if that's much of a discussion among the same sex community? Um. Again, I don't speak for like mm-hmm. the community as a whole. Um, I have seen that discussion had in a lot of different queer parenting groups um, as just, you know, I understand that this is part, this is one group of people who feel this way. Um, trying to figure out how I want to put this. You know, there's there's many different ways that people come to parent children mm-hmm. and regardless of how they come to parent them. Some people have negative feelings about that right. and some do not. So I am hopeful of the fact that if we are open and honest about this and we make sure that our children are raised in a loved environment and get the experience that they want with two parents, that it will be a good experience for them in the long term. And like, will they probably have to have therapy about it at some point? Yes, but most people, people should, if not do need to have therapy about something in their lives. Um, so that is, that is my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is in the back of my head. And this was actually a question that my wife brought up when we were starting for our second and we did not have our original donors. Do we want to go for ID options for our second? Mm-hmm. And my answer was no, because I did not think that was fair to our current daughter, to our, our elder daughter to say, you know, well, your sibling gets to have a relationship with their, you know, genetic father, but you don't. I didn't think that was fair, and so I said, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that to, to our eldest. I think we should just do the same for both. I, um, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, so this is this is interesting part. I was part of a large queer parenting group on Facebook, and somebody. This, this is how I found out about this community. Somebody mm-hmm. asked, you know, what did you do when you conceived your children? And so I just, like, middle of a work day, quick comment, like, we used anonymous, we used an anonymous donor because that was all we could afford. Sorry, kid. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Full picture of good donor siblings. And unbeknownst to me, because I hadn't read through every comment in a sub thread, someone who was a, a child of donor conceived parent, a donor conceived child, had been very frank about how their feelings were about this and that they were upset and they, they didn't get to have this relationship and that donor siblings weren't enough. And so they laid into me in the comments and said sure. something along the lines of like, you know, how dare you? You'll pay for this in therapy later. Like, it's really unfortunate that you feel this way. And I said, you know, I'm I'm sorry if this came off as a flip comment. It was actually something we put a lot of time and thought into. And mm-hmm. I'm pregnant now. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't, you know, that we didn't do this for this one because I wanted them to have equal experiences. Right. And then they commented like, well. Same kind of therapy <laughs> together. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then they commented and was like, well, you know, your second kid should have to, sh- have to suffer from your bad decisions. And then I just kind of apologized if I hurt their feelings and it wasn't my intention. And then I miscarried like two days later. So oh. those those two things have always been very connected in my head because of that. Yeah. Um, and so I... I try to have a lot of thoughts and feelings behind this, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in terms of there's nothing I can do about it now. My my children are here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had tried to if I had known about all of this in the beginning and tried to find money in the budget to um, to, to purchase ID options, then I would not have the children that I have now. Right. And so I can't regret those choices because that would mean that I would regret my children and they are amazing individuals and I feel very privileged to parent them. So I feel that's, you know, I can't, I can't regret those choices. Um, I understand their feelings behind it. um, And I want to be very open and honest with my children about how these things came about and how we did what we did. And you know, it's getting to the point now with my kindergartner, I think it's time to start having a bit more of these discussions with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it's still, it's going to be hard. Um, and and maybe it's not. Maybe she's just going to roll with it and be like, okay, that's how I was made. And then at like 16, I'm going to hear hear about it. I don't know. Um, well, what do you, can I ask what you think is going to be yeah. hard about it? Um, I think... <sighs> I think it is going to be the, you know, the lack of, I I won't be able to have that experience with him necessarily, but that's also not necessarily the case. You know, I've seen so many stories lately about people who do something like ancestry and find their donor and then get to like, they have, you know, the family reunion and Mm -hmm. reach out and get to know him. And then there's that story of the woman who conceived with, uh, with a donor and is now dating him, which I think is hysterical. (laughs) Oh, I should find a link to that. I should put that. Yeah, on yeah, that was a that was one of my favorites. Right. So, um, okay. So you are imagining that that soon you'll explain to your daughter. Well, like we we picked a man that yeah that had that had some things we liked, and he we we got his sperm, and that's yeah. He wanted to help other people make babies, and so, right. and so you know we were had we wanted help, and we put him. You know we. I mean, we, we, you know, we chose him. And so, you know, you may not get to meet him, but you do have these people who can be parts of your lives. So now you, you know, you're lucky enough, you have like five or six new aunts that we can start talking about. Right. Or she may say, so she or another, or children might say like, oh, so I do have a dad. And then you have to say, well. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, 
there is a that's, man. There is a man out there. <laughs> yeah. And that's a correction that I've had to make with like my parents mm-hmm. and other parents where it's like, no, this is the donor. This is not the father. Because right. for me, uh, a father is somebody who is involved in the raising of the kid and, you know, plays baseball with them and talks to them about family stuff and, you know, helps them mow the lawn. And to wow. me, you're good. Oh, I just had not thought of that. Um, the importance of rhetoric around mm-hmm. this experience. And oh, how, yeah. And how, because also in the like adult NPE community, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that feel like the term donor um, is, is, uh, offensive to the donor kids because it um, it means the I don't it, it, they, it means that the the men that that contributed the sperm mm-hmm. aren't even worth a name and therefore they as their offspring are less than um, oh yeah see I'm I'm not oh. I've not been as involved with all of that because I have not had the emotional bandwidth to be completely frank I, I mean I wouldn't have expected you to <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's interesting because I think that goes to show too like a generational difference maybe mm-hmm. and like adults now you know and and these are also people that um they're they're not everybody they're not mm-hmm. no one has said I'm the representative of the adult donor community yeah. this is just like um, one sliver that I am seeing um, and but that yeah. it makes me really think about rhetoric and how for them and but how important that is the difference between a donor yeah. or donor or father or um, mm-hmm. and then I definitely foresee your daughters getting super grossed out when they're like 14 or 16 <laughs> once they like learn about sperm they're going to be like wait what Mm-hmm. And they're gonna be like, wait, a man had to like, ew, like masturbate, ew. <laughs> like, I can just see a lot. Mm-hmm. I can see a lot of like girls squealing about that. Um, or at least I. I mean, I'm still squealy about the whole topic. Um, yeah, I mean, and that, but that's that's one of those where you know, regardless of the conception story, the act of of their conception is kind of terrifying to a kid you know whether it's it's you know like having some having some fun times or going to a clinic regardless there's some part of it where you go wait what did you do yeah his what where yeah um or or with something like ici or uh Mm -hmm. ivf it's like they do what it's like the world's worst pap smear oh my god that's horrible it's like well it was not my favorite no well, I haven't even gone to the part where I have embryos on ice that I have to figure out what to do with. Well, I was about to say, I was just checking over our notes about what we were going to yeah. talk about. And I was like, okay, mechanics, we did that. What we choose when making our family. Um, and then donor, con- and then, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me, so you have, okay. So, so stuff on ice. Yeah. So when I did my retrieval, um, they got nine eggs and all nine fertilized, which is very unusual. Mm-hmm. And then um, only one was ready at the five-day transfer, and that is my daughter. Um, we like to joke that she volunteered. Um, <laughs> she was ready. She was ready. And everyone was like, that is a beautiful embryo. And we said, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, 
And so, you know, the next day they're like, okay, you've got four that are ready for you if this one doesn't work. So we're going to freeze them. You know, two are double A quality. One's like uh, AB and the other one's like BA or something like that. And so they they grade two different kinds of quality. I don't know. But so potentially, um, you know, we gave ourselves a year after our daughter's birth to figure out what we wanted to do with them. And she was born in December. So I have to decide soon. Um, Okay. So uh, we have to figure out what we want to do with them. And so I have considered donating them. But again, this is, I don't know if that would be fair to my kids to say, you know, here are all of your half siblings. You also have full siblings, but we don't know where they are. Like I would only feel comfortable doing a known donation for that. Uh But then that's also, that's also strange. It's got its own things. Like, do I like, pick a nice lesbian couple in the Midwest somewhere that I just stay Facebook friends with? Do I, you know, offer it to a friend of mine I know is going through fertility issues, but we're not that close. Like, does anyone really want my genes? Because we get nearsightedness and a pretty high reliability of diabetes. Like, Mm -hmm. all of those strange questions I'm just, I'm I'm wrestling with. Or do I try to have a third kid? Which probably I don't, but Mm -hmm. there's a possibility. Wow. So, yeah, and I'm I am suddenly imagining what it would be like to stay if if there was if you were staying in touch with a family, and they they had used your your eggs, mm-hmm. and then and then they were making choices that you didn't agree with, <laughs> um, like yeah. in their life, and that was on Facebook. Like for me, that would be really hard. So I'm wondering how much of this. For I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, that could also be. It might just be odd to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but that makes me think that all of this is kind of about control and mm-hmm. what, what we have control over and what we don't. Yeah. And um, there's like this uh, conflict of... And, and maybe a paradox of con- of control, which is a like a human animal emotional need, mm-hmm. combined with science and biology and just cells meeting other cells. Um, and I and um, so I don't have a conclusion about that. I just yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's very strange for me to think that, like, I have never met the person who helped me conceive my children. I have just, and I I may never get to. Right. Yeah. So but that, that feels strange to you? It, it does now that, it, now that we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because my children will have two parents and my children mm-hmm. will always have two parents. And then something strange happens and we divorce in 10 years, then they may have four parents, but they mm-hmm. will always have two parents in their lives who love them. And that, to me, is the most important part of that is will will my children be raised with love and you know i also don't want their conception story to be a surprise so Mm -hmm. whether we get out in front of it or whether they go wait a second how do two women make a baby and we go well i mean we've talked to her about the fact that we wanted to have a baby and we went to a doctor and the doctor helped us yeah and in five-year-old land that is enough totally um and at some point you know like i I feel like I remember several times of when you're told something when you're a kid and you go, oh, okay. And then like later you go, wait a second. 
what is going on with that? And you delve into it more. So I suspect that that's you just how my kids what, will work. You just take what is said. Um, yeah. My friend Maggie's parents one night told her that um, they needed her to stay up really late for a flight. And so they told mm -hmm. her that, that beets were caffeinated. And um, so she ate her beet salad and then was wide awake for hours because mm -hmm. they were caffeinated and then like didn't know that beets were not caffeinated until like recently like as yep. an adult said something about it to someone and they were like wait what that's and, yeah um, that's hysterical and i uh i was told that so i we went to the fair went to the petaluma county fair um which i think is called yeah the sonoma marin county fair in petaluma petaluma fairgrounds and i got cotton candy and we got home and I had to take a nap so I put my cotton candy in the fridge and when I woke up from my nap it was all gone and the adults told me that it was because cotton candy dissolves in air <laughs> and so I thought cotton candy dissolved in air until very recently like I thought it would just disintegrate like evaporate <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, so I can totally see being told like, yeah, my parents went to the doctor and doctors help you. And that's how you, that's how you have babies. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my story like that is that, you know, McDonald's had signs up that said, um, no loitering. You have to be out after 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And until I was like 15, I was worried that someone was going to call the cops on us yeah. if we were there for too long. Yeah. You were like, let's go, guys. Like, we have to go. Like, everybody finish yeah guys we've well there was one time we were at a we went up to lake tahoe and we got caught in a blizzard on the way home and so we were hanging out in the mcdonald's for a long time <laughs> and i was seriously worried that something was going to happen and i was 12. <laughs> should have known better but in, and now i look back and go gosh look at my untreated anxiety so yeah yeah <laughs> your, your adherence to authority yep yeah wow well, anyway, that's kind of a tangent, but no, yeah, sure, but um, but a fun one, yeah. So, yeah, I really am thinking a lot about this idea that, um, that that um, it's not it's not not new to me today, but like this idea that that love could be enough, and um, and and that and that honesty still is best. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, regardless of anything, honesty is best, even if it's honesty that you curate for the person that you're talking to. Um, you know, I, I don't need to go into all of the graphics of what an IVF retrieval looks like for my child because no, 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 no. I don't even want to tell you everything that happened with that because it was not a fun experience. And if should there's someone there considering going through fertility treatments, I don't want them to be like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen to me? No, never mind. Um, go in blind, people. Go in blind. Well, <sighs> yeah, honestly, I would. Um, Noted. Or, or at least a little bit blind. Like, something shouldn't be a surprise, but, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> the, whole, the whole fertility experience basically is just, like, plan for the worst. Plan for it to take longer and to cost way more than you ever thought it would. Mm -hmm. Is basically how that works. Our first mm -hmm. one took seven months to conceive, and our second took six but we had to do ivf so right you know yeah that was not yeah that was not fun um but it's worth it yeah. and then you go through pregnancy which is its own fun thing <laughs> you know all about that um but, well. 
But yeah, I don't I don't want my my kids ever to feel the lack and I don't want my kids to ever I want to I you know, this is one that's like you know about this because you're a parent. My parenting goal is that my kids can come to me if they have questions like this and they can get honest answers. Mm-hmm. Um so I try not to shy away from things like this. Um, I also try to make sure I ask my kids if they have questions about things. Like my daughter did a dance recital a few months ago. And so, you know, she was talking about what she wanted to do. And I said, well, what are you going to do if you get upset? She's like, well, I'm going to go give mom a hug. I said, well, you're going to be on stage and mom is not. So what else could you do? Like those sorts of things. Mm Talking to or the day before I was induced, I asked her if she if she had any questions, and you know she wanted to know if the new baby could wear her Cabbage Patch dolls clothes. Um, could not. Okay, but I, mean, I was going to follow up with that. What? Yeah, no, little not little a, too small. Not as small, but like Cabbage Patch. Okay. Yeah, but you know, like that was what what her concerns were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um. Uh. So do you, within the, within the, the community that you are in these days, mm-hmm. um, among, um, people that are considering donor conception, um, mm-hmm. do different parents have different ideas about that or is the general trend towards honesty? So, um, I'm not, I've, I've, I've left most of my trying to conceive groups because I'm pretty much done with my baby making Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now. So I don't need that support anymore. And it was just bringing up a lot of feelings for me to be back in there. So I was like, we're going to move on. But basically from what I've seen is when people start talking about how they want to start their conception journey, someone will bring up um, like the donor conceive support group on Facebook and share that there are people who have these thoughts and feelings and to consider that when you are making your choices. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a lot of go in with your eyes open. Yeah. But, you know, again, however you, however you choose to make a family is how you make a family. Right. As, and, as long as you're open and honest. You yeah. Know? And, and just to clarify the thing that you said in the beginning, which yeah. is when you met with the social worker and she said, it's, mm-hmm. really, it's really best if you can provide the opportunity to have coffee with the donor. Yeah. Um, and you and your wife said, uh, well, no. <laughs> um, and that was because of the cost, correct? That was because of the cost. That had it nothing to do. You're not anti have coffee with donors. You just, no, you just thought, well, no, we can't afford that option. So, yeah. So that would be nice, but it was unable. It's not realistic for us. Yeah. I, I would have loved to have had that option. Um, it cost us about $8,000 to make our first child, um, which, you know, if you're discussing adoption, that's like a third of that cost. But if we had done the donor, the identity options, it probably would have been in the 12 range and that would have been out of reach for us. Right. right. So. Okay. Okay. Do you, um, hmm. All right. Well, I will say that um, the other part of that is um, we live in Maryland, and so Maryland has laws that say if you use a donor, you can have two moms on the birth certificate. Like if you use a um, if you use donor and you're married to a woman, you can have a, both parents on the, like both parents on the birth certificate. Um, I believe my donor sib family that's in Rhode Island, they have very specific things about you have to have a specifically anonymous donor. I'm not sure of those details. I probably shouldn't even be mentioning that because I could be extremely wrong, but I think that was why they went for that specific choice. So there, there sometimes are issues beyond that, 
But um, for us, yeah, I, I, I would have loved the ID options. But once we did it for one and had a kid, that was that door closed. I don't think it's her to the other ones. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on your children's birth certificate, it has both of you on it? Yep. Has me and my wife. Has no mention of anyone else. Uh-huh. How does that feel? Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's one of those where um, I know a lot of people who still pursue second parent adoption for the non-gestational parent mm-hmm. um, because in our current socio-political climate, it's not, it's getting a lot less queer friendly. And so the concern is similar to before when DOMA existed. Um, if you go out of state and something happens, could they deny you the right to see your children? Right. Right. Um, we that's, have that's not. Horrifying thought. Pers- it is. Oh, no, it is. Um, but that's one of those where it's a horrifying thought because it's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple stories about um, people being very, very ill and in the hospital and the children or the partner being kept away because um, they were queer and the people at the hospital didn't like that. So, I, I have always thought about it as from partner to partner in that scenario. I have never considered mm-hmm. what it would be like for a parent. Yeah. I had not thought of that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to make sure that we put my wife on the birth certificate in case something happens and I go crazy and decide that I want to cut her out of our lives I didn't want to do that to her I wanted to make sure that something we had something in place to make sure she had the same right of access to our kids as a heterosexual couple not that I foresee myself doing that but you know people change and it doesn't seem right to me to have her invest you know or afraid of our kids have have this relationship that grows. I mean, she's, she's honestly closer with my daughter than I am. She's been home with her a lot more than I am because I am the person who goes out and works the most. And so, um, to take that away from both of them because I could just seems like I, I just wanted to ensure we had legal protections in place for that. Yeah. Um, which is why I should probably pursue second parent adoption. But that again, that is like thousands of dollars that I, don't really have to spend right now because okay. I've got two kids in daycare. <laughs> so, sure. um, so you don't, okay. So you don't have second parent adoption, but she is on the birth certificate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And is yeah, your, is a your, lot of this, is your marriage recognized in Maryland? Yes. Yes. Okay. It'd be, yeah, it was, be, it was recognized. like, we don't recognize marriage, but we do recognize birth certificates, but I just yeah. to make sure. Okay. No. So what happened was, um, DC legalized it. So we got married in D.C. Like literally we drove across the street because we lived right on the D.C. Maryland border <laughs> and got married in a little park. And then we had our big marriage ceremony in Maryland. And then the next year, Maryland passed um, same-sex marriage and that it would recognize out-of-state marriages. And that that was like 20 – we got married in 2011 and 20 – was it 2014? It may have been 2014. Um so like four months before my daughter was born mm-hmm. that don't look at it returned. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge sigh of relief. Like we all, we all kind of knew it was coming, mm-hmm. but yeah. you can't take anything for granted, but we were all we all pretty probably, sure. We all think we know what's going on right now. And it yeah. feels like um, if there's any lesson in not knowing what's coming, it is right now. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for everybody in different, different aspects, I like don't just mean yeah. presidency. 
Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about this until your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the Supreme Court and the oh, state yeah. and state by state and marijuana yeah. versus it's just um, and, mm-hmm. my, and I guess my podcast. I guess my podcast is about not knowing what's coming too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is. This is all so interesting. Is there anything else that you? want to say about it that I didn't ask I don't, or that you that- I don't know so the one thing that I've always kind of maintained on my own is that I don't want my kids to do a mail and DNA test until they're 18 mm-hmm. um, not because of the donors but because I find it some of the terms of services for those very strange and that it's it concerns me that like another company might own someone's DNA Right. Or like the way that they're like batching DNA to, to share with pharmaceutical companies or even the way that they caught the Golden State Killer is like, that's great. But also, is it? It's vulnerable. I don't know. It's, it's like, it's like an unforeseen vulnerability to have, yeah. to have our DNA as a, as a commodity that gets traded and bought and yeah. sent, but also identifies us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there actually was a a discussion the other day because somebody said they didn't believe in DNA tests because, or they didn't want to do the DNA test because the Mormon Church owns all the companies and they mm-hmm. want the Mormon Church to have all their information. Um, so then there was a whole thread of like clarifying what that meant, um, and and so that's not exactly true, but it's also not exactly wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, yeah, it's, it's capitalism meets science meets yeah. government mm-hmm. and now meets the church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Um, well, and the other part of that is, and I, I think I shared the story with you a couple of times cause I thought it was very pertinent for our discussion is the story of the woman who um, did like a 23 and me for her five-year-old through a donor um through a a sperm bank and they found identified a close relative that i think was like the kid's grandma and she reached out um through like an ancestry site and then the donor bank like threatened to sue her and took away her vials she'd paid for for future kids um oh and so that's yeah i'm sorry so wait let's let me go over that again she okay okay so she she did a deal she did she got a 23 me for her daughter yeah who was conceived through a clinic she and then and then so she did that through the clinic and you know the same way that it pops up um your close matches Mm -hmm. that we all you know Mm -hmm. so a close match um popped up uh so the test popped up a close match for her daughter and so she, she reached out and just said hey we're here we're open to contact if you are and that close match responded and said i don't know what you're talking about and then like a week later the sperm bank called and was like what are you doing you said that you wouldn't try to contact anyone until your kid was 18 we could sue you for like 40 grand and also you have like four vials on ice with us you don't get access to those anymore oh okay so she so she inadvertently exposed a donor situation yeah that those people didn't appreciate yeah oh so i mean you know layered man layered lots of layers so i'm i'm 
all of this is stuff that goes on in the back of my head that I think about. And then sometimes I'm like, let's not think about this right now because your children are very young and you things you should worry about in a few years. But for right now, let's just get through today. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I'm still going to just get through today, but it's been in the back of my mind that we need to start figuring out better ways to do this better ways to do donor conception or donor oh no better ways to discuss donor conception with my with my littles okay 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 um though i'm pretty sure what will happen is i'll explain it to the first one and she'll tell the second one all on her own like do you know yeah did you know santa isn't real like i expect that my my younger daughter will not get to discover anything on her own because my older is um just very very involved and very into sharing Uh (laughs) Mm mm-hmm um this was so cool this has given me so much to think about and i hope that it gave i hope it gives people that i hope it gives i I don't know i hope it gives everybody involved something to think about but i hope it gives um like adults who are discovering their donors things to think about and then it's also information for everybody to just know how this works a little bit more i never realized how much i didn't know i just never Mm -hmm. just never thought yeah um, I, and this this might sound terrible, but it might. I hope I don't get hate mail. Honestly, like this is this is something that I, you know, I I said I would talk to you about this, and I actually, I talked to my wife before I I said yes, let's I'm in because I wanted to make sure that sharing our kids' conception story with the internet as a whole was okay with her, and she was like, well, I mean, they're gonna find out anyway, so um, yeah. So, but it was it was. A concern for me because you know I didn't realize it at the time, but this there are a lot of feelings from donor conceived individuals that I had not taken into account, and that is from my place of privilege. I'll I'll own it, you know. Like it just hadn't occurred to me to look for that, and so I'm hopefully people won't will will have compassion for that. I guess. Um, or maybe not. Maybe that's another privileged thing to do. Maybe I'm asking them to do my, my emotional labor for them, but I just hope I don't get hate mail. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't get hate mail. I'm definitely not going to provide any contact information for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to, like, you know, hunt me down right. somehow. Right. If anybody has anything to say, you can say it to me. You can contact me. Uh, my email is eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Um and uh what i really appreciate is just how vulnerable you've been like you you're right like you've come on to discuss this really hot topic and you're really being honest about it and i i just think that's really incredible and a gift um so i'm really really grateful and and i think that the whole point of all of this and and it's in it's in implicit in my pursuit of you know lessening shame and it's it's mm-hmm. implicit in my I hope in my podcast in general is that like we have to start talking about all of this yeah <laughs> um because because like you had never thought about it it never and I had never thought about it so mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's one of those where you know when you're a queer couple suddenly everyone is very interested in how you conceive mm-hmm. I read a st- in a way uh-huh oh that's in I think maybe that's in a practical wedding article yeah essay once or it was like that's the number one party question when you're a gay couple or whatever. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. That was like when people offer you sperm at dinner parties. Yeah. 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 No, I, I actually, I, I, not at a dinner party, but I did have that happen. Yeah. Um, and I was like, 
thanks. I'm going to leave that alone. Um, but yeah. And then the one person we considered asking and had kind of like low key felt out and he was like, I don't ever want kids. And so then we got pregnant. He's like, why didn't you guys ask me? And it's like, well, we did, but we were all kind of drunk at a party. But anyway, um, yeah, it's, yeah. When you're, when you're queer, people are very interested in how you conceived. And then, uh, you know, are you guys going to do it? Like the kids are all right. Like mm-hmm. that was one right. movie that some, yeah, no, that was just a movie. No, we right. didn't do, we're not going to do it that way. I hadn't even people can make different choices. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what if it really is Mark Ruffalo? I mean, if it's Mark, well, if it actually is Tom Hardy, right. cause I don't think Mark Ruffalo looks like Tom Hardy. So if it actually is Tom Hardy, I will be ecstatic, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Probably not. Yeah, but it is it is really funny though looking at the um the donor siblings like some of them definitely look similar like our our youngest when she was born looked very similar to one of our fr- one of our donor siblings when they were born um my daughter my older daughter and one of the other daughters um have like the same face shape and nose like it's yeah it's interesting hmm. And, so, and that's been one of the things I've been listening to your, you know, your podcast about and everyone talks about how like no one looked like me or no one had feet like me. And I'm like, okay, well, they can, they can do that with the, with their siblings. They can, they can get that yeah. from there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. I, of course. Um, gosh, I, I like, I feel like I come to the end of these conversations so often and I'm just like, I don't know what to say, except this was amazing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I sort of want to like, I sort of feel like if, if we were, if we were together, like not on the phone, I would just be walking around the house all day and just coming back to your, coming back to you, like every couple of minutes, that, you know, as like, ideas came to mm-hmm. me or thoughts came to me and I would just, I'd be saying, yeah. this is a trip, man. Like, yeah. Well, and I rehearsed everything I was going to say in my head for like, weeks which is then when we, when we pushed this i was like oh no i had it all in my-. and then of course none of it came out the way i was oh, I had in my head, no so. you sounded so articulate i'm so appreciative um that this was really really helpful i feel i feel okay. like thrilled and excited to have okay have new information and have a stimulating conversation and have all these things to think about um all about it's all about the way the world works around DNA. It's not, yeah. it's just not black. It's just not black and white. It's not. And, you know, as, as reproduction gets more and more medicalized, we're going to have more and more of these conversations. Yeah. For sure. It's just it's something to, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So great. Wonderful. Um, I, you can go back to work. Like this is amazing. I'm so excited. I'm, um, I'm gonna, yeah. We can hang. I can. I'm gonna stop recording. Okay. Stopping recording now. Extra special thanks to that person for their vulnerability and willingness to share the sperm donor process. As I go through this new world and navigate it for myself and watch others have their own journeys, I am really struck by the importance of rhetoric, the words we use, the language of this phenomenon. Uh, Sperm donor as a phrase is a hot topic in the NPE world. Um, And also even the word father is a word that has like a lot of meaning that people want to be careful about. And I am not very good at explaining this because it's 
a little bit hard for me to understand, but for people in the NPE world who discovered as adults that they were conceived by sperm donor, there's a lot of sensitivity about that phrase. And for a lot of people, it feels offensive. Um, if you refer to the, the person who fathered you as a sperm donor, if they weren't actually through a sperm donation facility. Does that make sense? Um, and yet, for a lot of people, using the phrase sperm donor um, helps them when they're referencing the person who fathered them if they don't get to have a relationship with them. So it's complicated. Um, feelings get hurt. And I don't totally know how like how I feel about it. And like I just, just said, I don't quite totally understand it. Um, but I certainly don't want people's feelings to get hurt. But I also understand that people are struggling to understand this experience um, within the confines of our language. Like we don't maybe have the words yet for all of this. So it will be interesting to see what kind of language develops out of this phenomenon and what sticks and how we learn to, you know, describe the different people and the different roles in this funny situation. Um. Yeah. So, hey, let's talk about next episode um, because it is a special one. So in two weeks. Um, so what I did is I drove to the house of Julie Dixon Jackson, host of the Cutoff Jeans podcast. Um, we had a really fun time. We did kind of a crossover episode. So this is how it's going to work. We're both going to release our episodes on Sunday, November 24th. I normally release my episodes every other Friday, but next uh, the next episode for me is not, I'm not going to release it until Sunday. So I just um, want to give you a heads up about that. But the episodes go together. It's really fun. You can listen to one or the other in any order, I think. Um, but they go together. Uh, and I and I think that's just going to be, I think it's going to be so fun. Uh, and then, you guys, um, I am going to take a break for the holidays. Uh, after that, it's Thanksgiving, and then for our family, it's Christmas, um, and it just feels like like a crossover episode with Cutoff Jeans is a great way to end the first season of Everything's Relative. Um, I talk a little bit more about my story that, that I've never revealed, and I take my first DNA test with, with Julie, um, so when you come back in January, I'll have all the results, and, uh, and I'll be rested with new energy for season two. And we'll get deeper into the current phenomenon of DNA discoveries. So, uh, yeah, it just seems like it's a good time to do that and take a break and get a little bit more rest. And in the meantime, uh, that makes me, sorry, hold on, I'm going to interrupt myself to say it's funny to think that I'll get a little more rest during the holidays when probably I will just be exhausted and need rest from the holidays. <laughs> um, but anyway, in the meantime, uh, follow Everything's Relative on social media. We are at Everything's Relative Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook, at Eve Sturgis is my Twitter. You can contact me, Eve, at everythingsrelativepodcast.com if you want to send me an email. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell all your friends. And I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve Sturgis is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, but the conversations she has on the podcast are not therapy sessions. Logo design by Ivy McNally and music used with permission by Goodbye the Band.